0: Welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. This is Sunny Bunch. I'm joined today by Shannon Moore. Uh, Shannon works at uh, Allied Global Marketing. She is the Director of Field Marketing at Allied Global Marketing in the DC office. Um, I'm very glad to be joined by Shannon, who I've worked with uh, essentially on and off for, I don't know, 10 years now, 12 years. I, I, I don't know Uh, I don't I I have lost track of time, Um, even though I live in Dallas now, I still reach out to her frequently for for uh, help on things, um, thank you for joining uh, me on the show today, Shannon. I really appreciate Definitely. it. Uh, the the here is the number one question I always get as a film critic. This is like the number one thing people want to know: is how do you get to see the movies early? How do what do they what do they do? Do they just have little theaters where you all watch it one at a time? Is it just critics? Is it is it with with people? Obviously, this has changed a little bit in our current predicament. Uh, but, but it is, it is something that people are fascinated by. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the mechanics of press screenings and publicity screenings and all that. So how does how does that work? How does a studio come to you and say, we want to do, I don't know, three screenings in DC for, uh, fast and furious 17, um, the furious evening, uh, <laughs> what's, what is, what is, how does that, how does that work? What, do you, what are the steps for that?
1: It's funny because that's usually the number two question that I get as well. The first one is, have you met fill in the blank favorite celebrity? And then the second is, do you get to see these movies early and by yourself? Um, There are a lot of ways that studios go about it. Um, The primary one is screening in some form for press prior to the film's release. So it's anywhere from Renting a small theater and doing a 10 in the morning screening that only press are invited to attend to renting a larger theater on a weeknight and inviting both press and general audience to attend. The idea being some movies, you have the same experience if you watch them by yourself or in a full house. Other movies are very much affected by the audience around you. So there's a little bit of thought behind how the movie will play and how it's best presented to the press and also the general audience. Ideally, you want everyone to like your movie and leave the theater saying or writing good things about it. So they will decide on the presentation first, also decide how often and early they want to make the movie available to press. Sometimes the exclusivity makes the movie more exciting. If you're only going to screen it once and you're going to screen it Two days before the movie opens, say you were a big superhero movie or something like that, you would make it very, very exclusive. Um, a smaller film that needs more word of mouth, you might screen early and screen often and try to get as many people as you possibly can into see the film.
0: Yeah, I, is it is it hard wrangling the uh, general audience and the the critic the critical core? Because I mean, I know I know how critics get words on the screening, right? We get an email that says, hey, come here. It used to it used to be an actual physical letter. It was funny. So when I first started going to the press screenings, we would get physical uh, letters from Allied that would show up. At I remember the- those days. That's
1: a little before my time, but, <laughs> but uh, I was around at the end of that. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, I mean, it, w- it would be very funny. It'd be like, ooh, you, an actual invitation. Um, but, you know, now it's all email and and we, we you know, it's come here, come here, come here. But how do you how do you get the word to the general public for the mixed public uh, and press screenings?
1: In a lot of cases, the people, the public attending those screenings have won the tickets somehow. They listen to the radio and you hear Caller Nine wins tickets to our advanced screening of Harry Potter. Um, they call in and they win. Um, sometimes they'll go through websites. We have a lot of promotional partner websites um, or television stations or print outlets depending on the city that you live in and how amenable the press are Um, And they'll do the same thing. They'll basically run contesting to give their readers something cool, literally something you cannot buy, um, the access to that movie before it opens. The bigger the movie, the more exciting that is, the more valuable the prize, the fewer tickets we will give out um, in order to fill them. Then we'll also do what we call word of mouth screenings or recruit word of mouth groups. And that's just interest groups that fit the demographics for a movie. So if you're looking at, the new Meryl Streep rom-com, we can figure out who the audience is for that and where we think we might find them. If you're looking for, you know, eight to 13 year old girls who love this Disney Channel star, we'll figure out how to contact them, their parents, their families, whether you're working through say gymnastics organizations or the school or something like that um, to try to reach those people. So it's very, very multifaceted. It can be a little hard to wrangle them. Um, And depending on the buzz around a movie or the specificity of a movie's topic, it can be much easier or harder to recruit that audience to see a movie. You would think people love movies in general, that they would go to pretty much anything that's free. It's extra cool if you get to see it in advance. And I lived that in college where I went to so many screenings. That's how I got involved with Allied. I was an intern there in college because I was going to all of the screenings and I saw some movies that I will never get that time in my life back. I don't know what I was doing, but they were free and we had nothing else yeah. to do. Um, I I've been on both sides of the table and I know how hard it is to get some people in, um, But obviously that makes the big exclusive movies, your Star Wars and your Marvels and stuff of the world, that much more exciting when you do do the screenings because people are really clamoring to get in the door and getting to see those movies even a day in advance is such a huge bonus for the people who win their way in. So it can be really exciting in addition to being a chore sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, just again, from the critic's perspective, it is always funny to see, uh, you know, a lot of the times you go to... a a 10 a.m. showing of a smaller kind of art house movie and there's five or six people at the east street and you're like okay hey guys how's it going and then you go to the big star wars movies or the big marvel movies it's like who are these? Who are some of these critics? Uh, you know, it it it's, it's definitely a it's definitely a different crowd. Um, I, I I just in terms of the mechanics, I don't know if you can actually talk about this. I I'd be curious, but it, what does it cost to rent out a theater for a screening? I like I'm I, because now we have this situation again in this weird predicament we find ourselves right where you can go to the AMC and rent that out for a hundred bucks, and you know you've got like five people there. Obviously. This is not how it was back in the, the good old days of like, I don't know, six months ago.
1: <laughs> yes,
0: the old times.
1: Um, it very much depends. You can spend a couple hundred dollars up to a couple thousand dollars, depending on what you are looking for. So if you're doing a smaller independent art house theater at 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning, you're paying a couple hundred bucks. Um, Sometimes the same is true with the chains because they might have deals with different studios or they might be offering it to you because you do so much evening business with them that costs the premium rate, they'll cut you a deal on the morning stuff. Um, In those cases, you're mostly just paying to open the theater. Some of them don't have staff at all during that time. So you're bringing in the projectionist and a manager or something. For the big evening screenings, depending on how big your big theaters are and whether or not you're using 300 seats or 1,000 seats, that the price goes up and up and depending on what city you're in, you could spend a couple thousand dollars doing one of those. I'd say the baseline for those promotional screenings is somewhere between like $800 and $1,500, depending on what city you live in.
0: Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Uh, so, I mean, it does. It, 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 is it indexed yeah. to ticket costs or is it just you know, kind of depending on... It's mostly
1: on... flat rate.
0: Okay. So well, sometimes
1: I mean, a 100-seat house is the same cost as a 300-seat house.
0: Um, Oh, okay. And that's, and
1: the format can also adjust the price if you're screening in 3d or in IMAX. Um, and those tend to be larger seat counts anyway. Now, since all the theaters have, uh, renovated to include those fancy recliner seats, the seat counts are way down. Mm -hmm. And there was, I, I wondered very much if that would mean the price would go down for screening because you could fit in so many fewer people that didn't really happen. The idea is it's much nicer now and people are getting a better and different experience. Um, but the mm-hmm. biggest factors are definitely the, the timing of the screening and the city that you live in. So, for example, we om- almost always only do our screenings Monday through Thursday. Occasionally, we'll do a weekend morning. Those are not prime sale times for the theaters to bring in regular paying customers. So they're, we're getting a deal on the per seat price, but they would not really be selling those tickets anyway. We, if we mm-hmm. wanted to screen on a Friday night at eight o'clock, we would be paying an absolute
0: premium price. Right, right. And no, but I mean, those, those almost never happen anyway, because. That's Friday why. Is, yeah. No one can afford them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah I, I mean, I, I'm kind of, I, am curious how uh, Allied, you know, works with all of the various offices around the country. I mean, you guys have, we were discussing this before we, before we started. I mean, how many, how many offices are there in, in North America?
1: 21, uh, including one in Toronto. And the way we're set up is they're in large cities, DC, Philly, Boston, Miami, and then each of those city, each of those offices will handle their city and what we call satellite markets. So anywhere from one to six or seven big cities in their general vicinity. So our Atlanta office typically ends up with about seven markets everywhere from the Carolinas through Georgia. Florida has a lot, depending on how deeply a studio is activating on a film. Um, For our office, we handle DC, Baltimore, Norfolk, and Richmond. And depending on what the studio wants, we may do one or all four of those markets, and it can change by the movie.
0: Okay, interesting. Uh, and then, and, and so you know, obviously, the the other big part of your job that I see, the front facing part, is inter- interacting with uh, with talent when they're coming into town for press tours and stuff like that. How does that work? I mean, what, I, like, I know, I, I I assume that you are not going to tell me any. Great stories about terrible (laughs) celebrities, Uh, but but I'm just curious, like how it how it actually what what is the actual logistics and mechanics of like getting somebody into town for 18 hours and then getting them out again?
1: It's always a blur. Um, Studios will decide if it's part of their strategy to travel talent. Um, There are a lot of factors that go into that. How often does the person travel? If they've just been to DC in the last year, there isn't a ton of value in bringing them back again because we won't get as much publicity as we did the last time. Are they expensive to travel? Do you want them traveling on behalf of your film? (laughs) All those things come into play. Um, But we will find out that we are getting them and usually working with other markets to determine the dates. Um, Usually they're not going to just one city. A lot of times they'll, for the East Coast, they'll do Boston, Philly, DC, and then either Atlanta or for some reason Chicago, because it's such an easy flight from here. so we'll work out the dates that make the most sense. Usually we do get them for about a day, a 24-hour day. Um, we handle everything from the minute they step off the plane. So the car that picks them up, the hotel that they stay in, all of the press interviews that they do, any special events. People usually do a screening and they'll either introduce it or do a Q&A afterwards. Sometimes there's a reception, etc. Everything that happens, who brushes their hair, who buys the lunch all of that yeah. falls to us so it's a lot of moving pieces um but they're generally pretty exciting and it's very unique to get to bring that experience to people in dc i lived in la for a while and you get so used to seeing celebrities especially if you work in this business you get so used to it that a little bit of the shine wears off but when you get someone really famous like an athletic level famous and you're walking through a random building with them and watching people react, or you go to a screening. We did several screenings um, and events with Bradley Cooper for A Star Is Born because he went to Georgetown and he usually comes back to DC for precedence. When you see how people React when they see a truly famous person. Sometimes for the first and only time in their lives, it's such a unique experience that I find it really fun and exciting. And that's when you get reminded about the magic of the movies and the power that these stories and their art really have.
0: Yeah, I I was at one of those Bradley Cooper screenings at the uh, Was it the, the one Georgetown where I Theater? tripped and fell? I don't don't remember that. So if it was, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't. Awesome. uh, (laughs) No, I, uh, but it, but it it is, he, he was, he was very, very cool and very chill um, and very nice to all of the questioners. I, like, I, I am, I am curious, you know, what, what, how often you guys get the, you know, uh, this, I don't have a question so much as a comment style questions. What is that? I don't
1: have a question, (laughs) but can I have a hug? Or will you sign my poster? Um, We don't get as many of those as we used to. We are typically able to control that stuff a little bit. Um, Most people, because we do the Q and A's after the movie actually do have a movie related question. Sometimes we get someone who just has a thought that they wanna share and that can be Mm. okay. Um, But usually only get one of those in each crowd and they catch on that it's not necessarily cool. but usually, we usually the people that we get in the audiences are also very cool. Like I said, this is their one and only chance to see, forget, interact with someone of this caliber, and they generally do a really good job with it.
0: I was curious from from again as from the critics' point of view. You know, we we go to these screenings, we kind of come out of them, uh, and then you guys ask us, "Hey, what'd you think?" And and uh, you know, sometimes it's a, it's a little hard to get a uh, thoughts together in that 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 short of time uh, but I'm I'm curious what you guys are looking for and what the studios are looking for right what is what what is it that um you you all are trying to convey to uh, the folks in Hollywood when you uh when you're when you're picking our brains coming out of the movie theater
1: Usually in those cases we're looking for an overall sense of what people thought of the film A lot of press will decline to comment on Exit. Maybe they need a minute to put their thoughts together, which is very understandable. Or they don't want to be too short in a reaction because it is easy to misconstrue. It was good. Is that it was really good or it was kind of good? Are you impressed or disappointed? There's a lot of nuance that a very brief reaction can't give. So we're hoping for overall sense of how the movie played. We would love specifics if anyone ever wanted to give them to us, and some press do, some press do very uh, verbosely (laughs) immediately after a screening, Um, but for the most part we're looking for a general reaction, Um, and we usually consider general reactions like excellent, very good, good, fair, or poor, and we will sort of lump press comments into one of those
0: categories. Uh, See, that's so that's interesting, because the does that does that kind of uh, does that kind of impact how the studio is going to market a film in a in a region or in an area because I I, you know, is it or is it just a general sense they're trying to get a they're trying to get an idea of what the the, you know, Rotten Tomatoes number is going to look like when the when the embargo lifts?
1: I'd say it's more general it, for our purposes, because by the time we're screening a movie, it's usually not very far in advance of a film's release. There's usually not time left in the campaign to pivot based on a lot of feedback. If you were in a different city, if you were in an LA or a New York where things might be screened earlier, or if you were in a market where it was being test screened for research purposes, the, the comments and overall consensus coming out of these screenings might have a larger impact on a campaign. But typically for us, we're looking for an overall sense of how the critics in Washington D.C. or whatever city we're screening in feel about the movie and sort of what we can expect on opening day.
0: Do do you get the sense, or you know, just from your perspective as as a as a you know a PR person on the ground, um, but also in your in your interactions with with the studios, do you get the sense that critics have? a huge role to play in turnout? And I I realize this is kind of a broad, broad question, and maybe we could look at it in in two different circumstances, right? Do do you get the sense that critics have a huge role to play in turnout on a big movie, a big blockbuster type movie, um, as opposed to a smaller, you know, kind of more indie or art housey type movie, for lack of a better word, you know, that kind of uh, low budget to mid budget picture?
1: Uh, I think that they probably have more impact on a smaller film, a more independent art house film that needs the word of mouth. Also, those uh, those films tend to appeal toward a more a more upscale audience, if you will, the audience that's going to go out and read reviews and for whom reviews will have a large impact on their decision to see or not see the film. Most big blockbuster movies, while it's excellent when they are very well-reviewed and and liked across the board. Uh, There will be a lot of people who've already decided that they're going to see that movie, regardless of what the press think. And they may have already bought tickets in advance of reviews even running, things like that. So I do think that the critical response, even to a big movie, can dampen enthusiasm. It can increase enthusiasm. I don't know that it's as impactful, at least for the first opening weekend, but it definitely has a lot of impact on a smaller, more independent, or more arthouse film that is counting on that third-party endorsement to help sell the picture to its audience.
0: And it, it, the, you know, the, the other... I think part of this that kind of plays into it now is you know again I've, i we, I keep mentioning that we we live in this weird and new and different and terrible time um but th- it 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 feels like this is almost a i don't know a a a great opportunity for critics to kind of play a role in bringing attention to things that otherwise wouldn't get it i mean we we we, we are in a kind of Interregnum, right? Where like people aren't going to the movie theaters. You don't have the big, huge advertising budgets. What is what is the role of the critic right now, from your perspective? Again, as role of the critic as a uh, as as a part of the PR team, um, so to speak. You know, I know critics listening to this are going to recoil at me phrasing it that way. But the but the idea here, I think, is that that critics a- actually have a bigger role to play now than they have in the recent past because they're is a ton of stuff out there that is coming out. There is still there are still new releases coming out hitting VOD, some in theaters, whatever. Um, and there there is just not the same sort of attention being paid to movies. I like it, what is the ro- what is the role of the critic in the era of coronavirus?
1: I do think that at present the critic is definitely playing a large role in just spreading awareness about a film. Typically, the the critic's job is to share their opinion on the film, and if their opinion influences their readership, great. Right now, they're helping at a step to one or two steps prior to where they would normally come into the equation. In my opinion, I think that just talking about a film is helping to spread that awareness in a way that didn't used to be necessary. If you were in the target demographic, hopefully, some of the PR and marketing efforts were reaching you before the critics did. You were seeing your TV ads and things like that. There are fewer and fewer of those now and fewer avenues where you will encounter those things. If you're not commuting, maybe you're not listening to the radio, maybe you're not watching as much network television, et cetera. Traditional advertising and marketing venues are so limited that as the critics talk more and more about a movie, they're going to see it, it's going to come out, here's my review, those initial steps I think right now are more impactful than maybe they needed to be in the past
0: is there is there any frustration on your guy 's end or the studio 's end uh, with critics not wanting to go to theaters? I mean I know this was this was a topic of conversation around the time tenet came out you know are we are we going to go to theaters and and risk our healths? I, I I feel like I have been just putting it just for the record i I have been very strongly in favor of getting people back to theaters and trying to get Everything going again, um, but I am very much in the minority on this, and I'm I'm curious if there's been any, uh, any any annoyance uh, or frustration on your guys' end um, with with some of that hesitance.
1: I wouldn't say annoyance or frustration. We want everybody to be comfortable, and by we, I mean you know myself personally, as someone who knows the critics in our market and interacts with them and considers them, you know, if not work friends, then then real friends. I want everybody to do what they're comfortable with and make their own decision based on the factors that matter most to them. So as much as I would love for everyone to be comfortable with returning to theaters, I understand that not everyone will be. The same way that not everyone is comfortable eating in a restaurant right now or doing any number of things. And so I certainly wouldn't consider myself frustrated or annoyed with their personal decisions knowing that I'm making my own personal decisions too. And personally, I'm in the same boat you are. I have been back to the theater. I have felt very safe and comfortable being there, but it is a very different experience. And if you haven't tried it, I think it's hard to imagine how different it is now from what it used to be when we went all the time and we never thought twice about cleanliness or proximity or any of these things. So while I think that the in-theater experience right now has evolved into a place where I personally feel safe and feel it's very clean, I totally understand that not everybody will share that view. So I think at this point, if you're not comfortable being in the venue, it's going to affect how you perceive the product. If you don't feel comfortable being in the theater, there's a chance it will affect how you react to the movie. And ideally, I want you to have a good experience that allows your true reaction for the movie to shine through. Good or bad, yeah. rather yeah, than I mean, having I, it be affected by yeah, your I, that, experience that, with the that
0: theater. That is, that's that's the the tricky thing, right? Is it like on the one hand, I, I am I am uh, I, I get frustrated when I hear people talk about how they they don't feel safe in theaters because science, whatever. Um, you know, at the other, on the other hand, I, I told the story the other day, but I, I went to a screening of Tenet, uh, and it was a kind of a, it was a nighttime screening and a guy 30 feet away from me fell asleep and started snoring. And immediately the first thing I thought was not, okay, this is annoying to my enjoyment of this film. It was, uh, oh, do I need to leave the theater? Uh, because like he's, maybe I'm going to get sick. I don't know. It's, it's hard to watch movies that way. Um, it really is which is all it's all very frustrating i which i guess i mean this this you know this brings me to maybe maybe the trickiest question for you is what is what is the role of allied and and other marketing firms right now, when when you have a situation where uh, theaters are closed, so it's it, you, there are fewer press screenings, um, you know, PR tours aren't happening as frequently. I mean, what 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 are what are you doing, Shannon, to stay busy during this this hard and difficult time?
1: Well, Allied is a full service marketing agency, so we don't do just theatrical film releases. Uh, we represent quite a few streaming services, television networks. <clears throat> Things like that. So we have definitely been staying busy. Some film studios have opted to release their films on video and demand, sometimes theatrically and video in demand at the same time. <clears throat> so it's definitely been providing work. It's not the volume that it was, and it certainly doesn't involve the event logistics we talked about with press tours or any of the other types of promotional activities we would typically have been involved in. But there's been a lot of pivoting to find new ways to reach people, um, doing things virtually that we had never done before, no one had ever done before, virtual screenings where everybody gets a code and logs into the same website at the same time to all watch a movie from their homes, but together. Recruiting people to do that, organizing the logistics has been very interesting. Organizing activities and promotional quote-unquote events that people can take part in at their comfort level, tuning in online, po- you know, doing something privately and posting or sharing a video of it, that kind of stuff. So I would say that we've definitely been busy, mostly pivoting our normal efforts into something that fits this new world order. And it's been interesting. There have definitely been some hits and some misses. Um, We're coming up to Halloween now, which obviously is a big time for movies, events, tie-ins, fun on the ground, in-person activities. Those are happening in some places and at, at varying degrees, Um, In Rockville, Maryland, there's a big drive-through trick-or-treat event where we are doing something, um, contactless, social distancing, masks required, everyone stays in their cars, just a really unique approach to what last year would have been a much more simple event to execute, but we are still doing it. And so people are, I think, more enthusiastic about those things now than they ever have been in the past because they've gone without them for so long.
0: Yeah, I mean that that is a, there is a lot of pent up demand. I can you can feel it. I mean, I can just feel it in my house. I'm, you know, here with my wife and my our two kids and it's just we need to we 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 want to get out. Um that's for sure. I, I what would you if you if you if there was any one thing that you wanted from critics, what would you ask us to do uh better to make your job easier? I'm 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 this is a I'm always curious what what is uh uh Something, something that you that you would would like us to know that you that maybe we don't.
1: Hmm, this feels like a question where I can really earn my salary. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the number one thing, and I hope that we have this going in both directions, is communication. Obviously, we offer a lot of things. Some are very high profile and very exciting, and critics can't wait to take part in them. Some are lower profile and more niche or maybe more interesting and need a little bit of not help but they need a little they need a little bit of help getting attention and then once that point passes you know we didn't make the movie you can think of the film what you like judge it how you will communication is key for us we often find ourselves going back to people critics press for features interviews etc over and over with some of these slightly less exciting pitches just to try to get answers. And I always tell people, if you don't wanna do it, just tell me no and I will go away. (laughs) But until I get that no, I'm here and maybe. So I'm coming back to ask you again if you'd like to take part in whatever it is I'm offering.
0: Yeah, that's 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 definitely fair. I uh I, I'm I'm often bad at the email. I used to be very good at the email replies. I have I've gotten worse as I got older. Most uh, of our most
1: of the press that we work away. with in DC specific are very, very good about it. And we are lucky enough to have a broad group of people who are interested in different topics. So it isn't just big movies or very famous talent who get interview opportunities and press tours and things. DC is unique in that we are able to bring in people at all levels of the filmmaking process and get really good press for them so that's unique to I'm not just DC but it's a little unique to our market um and we it's always a lot of fun so that would be my yeah. that would be my request. Lots of okay. communication.
0: Okay. okay, fair enough. Uh, I I am curious. We are coming up on award season here. I mean, this is we are we are in like the the kind of peak busy season for you know the Washington area Film Critics Association, which is what I am a member of. Um, but uh, but all the all the award season stuff is coming up. But the award season is very weird this year. right? like in terms of deadlines and uh, and the, the awards themselves. I mean, the Oscars are going to be pushed back. The deadline for qualifying is pushed back. Uh, the rules on what actually qualifies to play, uh, have all been, have all been changed. I, I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective on, on your end of things, how is this, uh, how is it, how is it affecting your job? And, and I'm, and what do you, what do you think award season this, this year is going to look like? I mean, we're not going to have the, the you know the days with the 10 a.m. screening, the 2 p.m. screening, and then the 7 p.m. screening. I mean, is it is is it all just going to be uh, virtual screeners? Is it going to be discs? I mean, I'm I'm curious where, where where you think we're headed this during this weird this weird uh, award season.
1: So a lot of studios I don't think have yet released their plans um, for their particular approach with any given film. I do think you'll see a lot more online digital screeners. Um, As we have for all the films that have opened since March, Um, seen a big uptick in those. I'm not sure about DVD mailings. I don't know who really does that as much anymore, but it's definitely an opportunity this year um, to maybe revisit it if they feel that it would be effective. Um, Online screenings and digital links offer more security, and we're mostly talking about films that haven't been released yet. So those can be preferable in some cases. It is going to be strange, you know, the Academy Awards deadline is films with a qualifying release by February 28th of 2021. When they announced that, it seemed like it was forever away. Now I wonder if many theaters will, for example, DC still closed. Will DC be open by February? I don't know. (laughs) So I don't know how much in-person stuff will be made available. If things change in the next three months, maybe more than we expect. If they don't change, maybe as much as has been available for the last six months, which is not a ton. Um, yeah. It's going to be interesting because it just impacts the number of films that will be released in that window. From January 1st, 2020 to February 21st, 2021 will probably be the lowest 14, 15-month output Holly- release output that Hollywood has ever seen. Even with the extra inclusions that the Academy has allowed this year for qualifiers. So maybe that means it's a really great year to release your awards caliber film. If you feel competition won't be as stiff, maybe you want to hold on to it for next year's run and and some films that we have seen move their release dates have shifted right into the last quarter of 2021 and you can for some films you can interpret that as gearing up for an awards run for next year's academy awards but steering completely clear of this year because an award isn't enough to make a movie in most cases that movie also needs box office and viewership and fans and all of those things that can't be generated in the same way that awards consideration among critics groups can be generated
0: yeah, I I mean it it is it is so weird. And you mentioned you mentioned something that I I'm I'm curious about cuz I I moved, so I, again uh, listeners know but uh, just as a reminder I I moved to Dallas uh 7 or 8 months ago. And theaters here have been open more or less. I mean, they've been closing as we haven't had any product, just because that's they they, they don't want to stay open and, and lose money. But the but DC is is a, is a very weird market because DC is technically three jurisdictions, right? You got DC, Maryland, and Virginia, and the theaters in DC and Maryland are still closed. The theaters in DC are still closed. Maryland is, I think, reopening kind of, and then Virginia is open more or less. Um, and I, I'm curious how you balance that in terms of you know, trying to figure out where, 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 what is going to be playing. I guess it, I guess as things fall off the schedule, it doesn't matter as much, right?
1: It hasn't mattered for as many titles. um, But for the theatrical releases that we have had, DC is interesting. DC proper is closed. Maryland is open, but county by county. So Montgomery County, just north of DC, where some of our more key theaters are that we consider part of the DC metro area, they are closed. But the Virginia part of the D.C. metro area is wide open and has been for months and has been doing pretty good business from what we understand in talking to the theater owners. So it's been unique for us because if we make something available to see in theater, it has been in Virginia to this point. Um, Not necessarily places we screen all of the time, but places that we do screen regularly. So not out of the ordinary as much as I think some other markets have had to adjust just based on where they are and what's open. Um, Of course, it does affect where things play. So if you have a film that would normally play at a landmark theater, the landmarks in DC are not open. So you are now maybe looking at Can it play at an AMC theater, which it normally wouldn't, but AMC is hungry for content and that film is hungry for screens, so maybe there's a collaboration happening there that you wouldn't normally see. Maybe that makes that film more accessible to people who typically wouldn't be going to that sort of film um, or at least seeing it in that sort of venue. So I think there are pluses and minuses, but mostly it's just a waiting game. To see when they will allow more openings and what that will look like for us, for me personally, for Washington DC. But of course, across the country, you know, places like New York and LA are huge box office markets, and so we wait.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that was pretty much everything I wanted to ask you. I, I always like to ask my guests. Uh, before before we end, if there was anything I should have asked, if there's anything that you think that my listeners should know about the world of of uh, city by city PR for for films and and dealing with uh, dealing with cranky critics and and you know uh, the the word of mouth screenings.
1: How does this get cranky too? We're aware. <laughs> um, <laughs> one thing I always say to people is that a, a critic's opinion of the film. Either a single critic or a group of critics is it feels it has always felt to me like the last sacred thing in this industry. It is truly the critic's opinion and their own personal decision what they share. If they like a movie, if they don't like a movie, it, it, it isn't influenced by our work as much as sometimes I wish that it were, <laughs> or I wish that I had that kind of power. Um, because we do sometimes get questions about, oh, so-and-so seems to like every movie. Well, then I guess they just really like movies. Or, oh, that was a great review in this publication. They must have gotten something great in return. Or, I hope they enjoyed that, as you mentioned, uh, screening you went to all by yourself at 10 o'clock in the morning isn't that special. Aren't you cool? No wonder you like the movie. Well, plenty of people go to those types of screenings and still don't like the movies. So we value very much the critics being honest in their feedback about films. And it doesn't have to be super detailed feedback as you walk out the door of the theater and see me standing there with my clipboard out. Um, But overall, in what gets published, it's very honest. And it has a big impact on the industry as a whole. It can impact an individual film. It can impact an actor or a filmmaker's career. It can impact a studio. So it's pretty powerful. And it's very... It's very honest. Like I said, I wish sometimes I had the power to impact that. But since we don't, we value very much that the press continue to be honest and share their opinions and know that they're doing so not for any reward or punishment on our end, but just as part of an open and honest dialogue.
0: I will keep that in mind as I as I try to decide whether or not to savage a thing because I didn't get to see the ten o'clock screening, Shannon. That's that's. Plenty of what, people you know. hate no, plenty I, I, of I, movies. It, this is it's it's funny because this is this is another question that that critics get. You know, it's usually an accusation. It's not a it's not a question. It's like, what did you get to give that? Terrible movie, a good review, or uh, what did some other studio give you to slam this this studio's release? It's a the people people have a very Manichean sense of how how the world works, and that is simply not not the case. I yeah, we
1: we see it too, and and it can often come with with a little bit of accusation behind it, the assumption that oh, there's no way this person liked that movie so much they must have gotten something out of it for themselves, and. The truth is they may have gotten something a normal person doesn't have access to, that 10 a.m. press screening, et cetera, but their invitation to the next one does not depend on their reaction to this one
0: yeah yep that that is 100 percent true i can i can vouch for that well thank you very much for joining me shannon i really appreciate it like i said i i people people are really interested in the side of the business and they i'm i'm hoping that they they have learned something uh interesting here uh me too. i will be back next week with another episode of the bulwark goes to hollywood please tune in <laughs>